We are continuing our series entitled The Master's Class. And we're in week two of that series. Um, in this series, we are looking at the parables of Jesus and allowing him to tell us what he wants us to know about the kingdom. Um, as we said in our previous message two weeks ago, there are two caveats to understanding the parables of Jesus. One, you must have a relationship with the Lord in order to understand them. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, a proper right relationship with the Lord, an, uh, uh, an awe of God and a, and a understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are not going to understand the parables of Jesus. You're just, you're just not. And so, so you need to have a relationship with the Lord where he has taken out the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh that beats for him, that loves for, to love him, to adore him, to um, worship him and to understand him in order to understand the things that he's saying. Um, and the second caveat, um, I'll just go straight to my notes because I'm over here about to have a brain fart. There we go. Um, the second caveat is that the, the parables cannot mean for us what they did not mean for them. And so you have, again, a lot of times we'll take the parables of Jesus and we will twist them in order to make them mean something that they were never meant to mean. And so whatever the parables meant for the people that Jesus was talking to at the time, the par that's what the parables mean. And we can take those universal truths and apply them to us today, but we cannot twist God's words and make them something different than what we want, than what he um, made them out to be when he gave these words to his people. So again, the parables of Jesus cannot mean for us what they did not mean for them. So um, to start our, to start our, Parables in Christ um, the, to, to the master's class. We're going to go into Luke chapter chap, um, words, chapters 14 through 16 and look at um, how Jesus talks about being lost and found, being lost and found. We're going to go into Luke chapter 14 and we're not going to read all of 14 through 16. because There's a lot, but we're going to just do kind of drive bys to kind of paint the picture of what's happening as Jesus is giving these parables. The first thing to look at is the fact that um, Luke chapter 14 through six through 17, the, um, the first 10 verses of chapter 17 are all happening at the same time. Jesus is going to a, um, a, a Pharisee's house for dinner. Um, and, he, and this Pharisee is a well-known Pharisee is invited a whole bunch of his friends. And so Jesus has been, invited to come to this Pharisee's house to, um, to sup with him as well. And so um, he's going to this house and he's going to be eating with a whole bunch of Pharisees, a whole bunch of Pharisees, a whole bunch of, um, you know, the, the who's who of the, of the council are there. Um, and as he's there, he begins to do something there that, is trying to help them to understand the difference between being lost and being found. He starts off by um, healing someone on the Sabbath, asking the question, can you heal somebody on the Sabbath? 
the Pharisees looked at him like he was dumb because it's like, I'm not going to answer this question because if I answer this question, then I'm going to end up getting in trouble and I ain't got time for that. And so um, I'm going to just sit here and be quiet. Nobody said anything while he heals this man on the Sabbath. He then poses this question. He says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they said nothing because they were like, mm, what you're not going to do is trap me. I'm supposed to be trying to trap you. You are not supposed to sit here and be trying to trap me. And besides, then we invite you here in the first place. Why are you asking these questions? So as he's as he's moving, moving on, um, he immediately begins to give them this parable about the wedding feast. And he they basically says, when you're invited to a place, don't take the high seat of honor just because of where, just because of who you are. Because a person that is actually being more honored than you at that place, the partner on um, the host of the place may come and say, hey, I need you to get up. And now you're embarrassed because you took the high seat. Instead, take the low seat. And then if the person decides to bring you up a closer or higher, then you come up. And in that, he says in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He then tells another parable. And in this parable, he talks about the fact that, um, you know, there's this great feast that happens. And, you know, he's in, in God has, and, and, the, and the, the host has invited all these people, all these great people, the who's who of the city. Come in, come, come to this party, come to this party. But everybody that he invited had an excuse. Everybody he had had an excuse. Um, you know, he said that one of them said, um, I just got married. I can't come. I got to do some married stuff. Um, another person says, I just bought some five, I bought five oxen. I get, I need to go deal with them. Another person said, I just bought a field. I got to go see about it. And so the man's like, well, dude, ain't nobody coming. Ain't nobody coming. And so the host said, okay, well, then invite everybody in the street. Go get everybody on the streets. And he was like, okay, well, come. Well, I'll go get everybody out the street then. Yeah. So everybody in the streets are now coming to the party. And the man said, well, we still got a whole bunch of food and we still got a whole bunch of room left. He was like, well, then go out in the street some more and go get everybody in the streets and bring them in. Just go get them. Go get them, get them, get them. And so everybody's coming in. Everybody's coming in. And it's a big old feast. It's a big old party. And and he says that um, at the end of that, of, that, of that parable, he says in verse 24, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He then tells them, you know, because uh, people because he's it, he then tells them in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He says to them, what person do you know? What king do you know who won't count up the cost and see whether or not he got enough to go to war? If he sees that he got these many men, but the other person got more men, I'm going to go meet him halfway and be like, hey, bro, how about we not fight? How about we come to terms? Let's, let's do something else because you you're going to you gonna beat me. I don't want to die. I don't want my kingdom lost. So let's come to terms. Let's figure something out. He says, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He then goes further on. He says, um, then the tax collectors in the center started drawing to him. Everybody was like, oh, okay, he's talking about some kingdom stuff, and he said we can come in? He said we can come into the kingdom? Let me see what they talk about. 
And as that happens, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> he then begins to tell them three different parables, all meaning the same thing. What was lost is now found. He says, what person do you know who has a hundred sheep? One goes missing. Doesn't go after the one that's lost. The other 99 are fine. I'm going to go get the one that's lost. And when he finds the one who's lost, he rejoices. I found my sheep. And he goes home and has a great party. I found my sheep. What woman do you know? Got coins in the house. Ten coins. Lost one. Don't go looking all around the house. Got the other nine, but I need that one. Sweeps under the rug, looks under couches, pulling the, pulling the couches apart. I got to find this coin. Finds the coin. Oh, I found the coin. I found the coin. Woo! Calls up everybody. I found my coin. Has a whole party over this coin. What father wouldn't celebrate his own son who decided, you know what, dad? Give me everything that I'm owed. Everything I'm owed. I know I'm supposed to get it when you die, but I want it now. So the father says, okay, gives it to him. Goes off into a far distant city and he is partying hard. Spending all his money, blowing it all on everything he wants to do. He's having himself a good old time. You know, he's living it up. He YOLO and he, you know, doing all the crumping and all that kind of stuff. Not crimping, crumping. And my wife will get on me. It's called crumping, not crimping. But, you know, he getting it in. You know, he partying hard. He flossing. I don't know how to floss, you know, and he is he's living it up. Then all the money runs away. All the money's gone. All his friends, so-called friends, are gone. It's just him by himself. Did nobody write him? Goes off and starts working for this dude. And he works for this dude. And he, he's so hungry that he's ready and willing to go into the pigsty and eat scraps that the pigs eat just so he can have something to eat. He comes to his senses and he's thinking, the servants at my father's house, they eat better than me. They're getting three square a day. They got a house to live in. They got clothes. They get to clean up every day. I'm going to go home and I'm going to just tell my dad, just make me a servant. Just make me a servant. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Clean, goes off. He ain't cleaned himself up. He goes as <laughs> dirty as he is, muddy as he is, ruddy as he is. And his dad sees him from a far way off and recognizes that it's his son. Despite the fact that he probably got beard, he got beard on his face, dirt everywhere, clothes are tattered. He recognizes his son and he runs toward his son, embraces the son. Son says, dad, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Please, you know, God, you know, um, you know, just make me a servant. I'll, I'll just be a servant in your house. And dad's like, uh, no. You're not my servant. You're my son. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to put the robe on you. I'm going to put the ring on your hand. All of that. No, I'm not letting you know. You're not. You're my son. Party up. Get the fatty calf. Kill it. See, now they yoloing. Now they crimping. Now they flossing. Because his son has come home. The other son, here's this man from a far way off. Here's this noise going on far away. I'll be like, okay, I'm right. I don't know what's going on, but hey, 
What's this? What's this party going on? And realizes his brother came back home. He's furious, angry, mad. What? Why are y'all celebrating him? And the dad says, "No, that's not. That's, let me back up." He says, "Why y'all celebrating him?" I've been here the whole time. I did everything you asked. I didn't ask for your money. I didn't ask for to, to go and squander all your stuff. But he he done wasted all his stuff, all your goods, all your all the money you made that you gave to him. And now you come back and you celebrate him. Where's the, where's my party? Where's my celebration? Dad says to him, "Son, you're always with me." And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and was found. What the Pharisees failed to understand is the same thing that we sometimes as both unbelievers and believers fail to understand. And I wrote it down because I knew I was going to forget how to say it out loud. Anyone who believes that they have earned the right to be in the presence of God apart from repentance and belief is lost. Anyone who believes that they have earned the right to be in the presence of God apart from repentance and belief is lost. The Pharisees felt that their power, their status, their knowledge, their deeds, and their possessions earned them the right to be in the presence of God. Their power, their status, their knowledge, their deeds, and their possessions. They believed that because of, their, because of those things, they had earned the right to be in the presence of God. And so... Being a part of the kingdom was a matter of convenience for them. If I've got enough influence in the world, then I can influence my way into the kingdom. If I if I have enough, if I can flex my will enough, then I can gain access and entry into the kingdom. If I can flex enough, then that'll allow me into the kingdom. You know, if I could tell this person what to do and tell that person what to do and tell this person what to do and tell that person what to do, then I can earn my way into the kingdom. If I know enough people, know the who's who, then I have can then I can gain entry into the kingdom. How often have we seen people feel like they can do whatever they want to do because of who they know? I can do whatever I want because of who my daddy is. I can do whatever I want to do because of who my mama is. I can do whatever I want to do because I got the I got the president or the CEO on speed dial. I can do whatever I want to do because all it takes is one phone call and I can get the sheriff to to, to, to do away with that do do away with that um the ticket that I got, or I can buy the judge off and get this whole thing taken away. How often have we seen justice being taken away from the person who deserves it and given to the person who paid off? You know, and we believe that that will get us entry into the kingdom. We sometimes think that what, what we know, 
will get us entry into the kingdom. And so if I know enough of my Bible or if I know if I have enough knowledge or if I have enough wisdom, if I'm enlightened enough, if I've, you know, assumed, you know, so much knowledge and, and be able to, you know, to argue with the best of the best, be able to debate with the best of the best. You know, can I can I can argue the, um, the I can disprove the existence of God in three minutes. You know, I can tell people about themselves and, you know, and feel justified in doing what I do. I can get on the computer and I can type my, my feelings away and, and, and be able to tell people about themselves and make TikTok videos and show that I know more than them. We think that that will get us entry, gain us entry into the kingdom of heaven. We will think that sometimes our deeds are what's going to get us into the kingdom of heaven. Watching the good place, um, we're in the we're about we're, we're ne near the end of the um end of the show, and this whole time they've been trying to figure out how to get this system to work to where pe more people can gain entry into the kingdom of heaven. Because no matter what good deed there they do, it's always attached to a bad deed or a bad idea or a bad concept. Which means that no matter what good they do, they're supporting something bad in even in the shadows, even if they don't know that that's what they're supporting. How you can eat. But, um, a, a hamburger, but because the tomato was grown in a field and they used chemicals in that field and those chemicals leaked into the lake and because it leaked into the lake, it caused a whole water crisis. That tomato you're eat, you're now consuming makes you a bad person because you are supporting the leaching of chemicals into a, into a, um, into a lake. You don't even know what's going on. You have no idea. All you wanted was a tasty burger from Wendy's. That's all you wanted. You weren't trying to make, you know, put chemicals in no lake. But because of that, again, their good deeds were never enough. We can think that our good deeds should gain us entry into the kingdom of heaven. We think that because we have accumulated so much stuff that that means that we are either a part of the kingdom or that it should get us into the kingdom, that we can buy our way into the kingdom. Look at all this stuff that I have. Look at all this stuff that I own. Look at everything that I've, that, that I, that I've got. Look at all the trips that I can go on. Look at all the, the buildings that I've bought, all the land that I own. I have all this stuff. This, this proves that I should be a part of the kingdom because look how good my life is. That I should be a part of the kingdom. Christ tells us to the unbeliever, nothing that you do will gain you entry into the kingdom. Nothing that you can do apart from repentance and belief will gain you entry into the kingdom. And for the believer, no matter what you've done in the kingdom, it does not it does not um, gain you special entry into special places in the kingdom. Just because you feel like you have arrived or that you have a that you've been in the, this game for 20, 30 years does not mean that you're any more special than anybody else in the kingdom. Because God has no respect of persons. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. Even if we have special roles to play in this life, we're all ascribing to get to the same place, to be with the same Jesus in the same new heavens and new earth. None of us are special. And the problem with a lot of us as believers today is that we believe that we are so found that we couldn't be more lost. 
We believe that we have been so highly exalted that we have forgotten to humble ourselves before the mighty head, before the mighty face of God and allow God to fill us with more of his love, more of his grace, more of his patience, more of his forgiveness, more of his peace. We think we have arrived. Some of us think we have arrived because of how long we've been a Christian. Some of us think that we've arrived because of the particular church that we attend. Some of us think that we've arrived because of the position that we hold in the church. Some of us think that we've arrived because of the people that we rub elbows with at the at, um, at our particular churches. And as a result, when we see someone who doesn't look like us, doesn't think like us, doesn't pray like us, doesn't worship like us, you know, or is someone who is an absolute unbeliever, we will cast judgment upon them anytime God's trying to either use them or elevate them in the kingdom, bringing them into the kingdom. We are much like the Pharisees who say, I can't believe that Jesus would hang out with tax collectors and sinners. I can't believe that Jesus would hang out with outsiders. I can't believe that Jesus would act, would, 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 would hang out with the, with the, with the exiled, with the lame, with the prostitute, with the tax collector, with, with the sinners. But those are the people that God says he's seeking after in so much that he said the doctor, the, the, the people who, um, physicians, people who are not sick, don't need a doctor. It is those who are sick who are in need of a physician. Now, it's not to say that we should declare ourselves sick all the time. I'm just, you know, at some point we need to grow out of that. But our humility should be such to where we never think that we've arrived. We're always in need of Jesus. We're always in need of his love, always in need of his grace always in need of this Thanksgiving because when we, when we put ourselves in a position of humility, God is then able to use us and is able to love on us and is able to pour out his blessings upon us and in doing so allow us to grow deeper in his love and grow deeper in him. When we feel like we've arrived, when we feel like we have gotten to a point and position in our lives where we are here, God has to sometimes knock us way down in order to remind us that we are not as arrived as we think we are. Being found is not by our own might. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own will. It is by the mighty hand of God. And our position and posture in God should be such to where when the blinders are taken off our eyes, we can see whatever gain I have, I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. That this light momentary affliction that we go through on this earth is um, is not is incomparable to the. Um, eternal weight of glory that waits for us on the other side of glory, on the other side of victory. And as a result, we, the people of God, must be ever so careful that we are not looking in the world and treating people as if we have arrived. Because when God saves us, when God ransoms us, when God puts us in position to be able to say, to be able to, um, to be a part of his kingdom, 
He is saying the same love that I gave you is the same love I need you now to pour out onto your people. Because the same love that I gave you, the same grace that I gave you, the same forgiveness I gave you, the same um, the same uh, peace that I gave you, I now want to use you to give that to the people so that they will know that there is a God. We let our light shine before others that they may see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. And our tendency as a people is to hoard what God has given us. Keep it to ourselves and we never give it to other people. We want God love me, forgive me, save me, sanctify me, clean me up, make me more like you. But when it comes to other people, you got to go get it yourself. Unless you do this, unless you do that. Unless you clean your life up, unless you join our church, unless you, you know, do these good deeds, unless you amass a certain amount of wealth, unless you give this to the church, you cannot be a part of the kingdom. When Christ has told us, no, this kingdom is so free. I'm inviting everybody upon repentance and belief. Come in, come into the kingdom. Come here. Jesus tells on repeat throughout Luke 14 and 15 that those who think themselves too highly of themselves could not be more lost. Again, it doesn't mean you're not a part of the kingdom because upon repentance and belief, you are saved. But how will they know that we are Christ's disciples if we have love one for another? And we love because Christ first loved us. And as a result, we, like, like Christ, should have our arms wide open in saying that we too were lost. And because I remember what Christ did for me, I now extend my hands in an effort to draw you in in hopes that God can use me to draw you to him. The love that God has for us is such to where whether we are wilding out or whether we are white knuckle rule, rule following, there is enough love and grace for both. That for the, for the one who is just going ham, and doing everything they want to do, YOLOing, getting a drink on, shooting, whatever. God is saying, I love you and I want a relationship with you. For the one who is in the kingdom, but their faith is so shallow that all they, all they want is just to get into the kingdom of heaven and amass some stuff. God is saying to you, I want to grow deeper with you. Because I need you to recognize that anything that I've given you is a gift. You haven't earned anything. You haven't earned the job that you have. You haven't earned the, the, the kids that you that you that you created. You know, you haven't earned the spouses that you have. You haven't the house that you own. All of these are gifts from a good God. The sun rises on the just and the unjust. It rains on the just and the unjust. Common grace is for all. 
Common grace is for all. And so whatever we have, even our own salvation is a gift from God. And that should humble us. To where we are no longer looking upon people through the eyes of I can't believe. They should be. But rather we're saying, thank God that they want a relationship with God and want to be used by God and want to serve God. They were once lost, but now they are found. How many of us as brothers and sisters in Christ talking to the believers? Are wandering around with blinders on. We think that we know so much about God that we are able to then cast judgment upon people as a result of us having a relationship with God. And the judgment I'm referring to is condemnation. How many of us have put our denominations before God? How many of us have turned our churches into country clubs where your membership is the prerequisite to opening doors, not your relationship with God? How many of us are walking around thinking to ourselves, you know, I've got it. I've arrived. I deserve the seats. I deserve to be treated with dignity because of where I am and not because of who God is. How many of us have a heart's posture of God, even if you don't bless me with another thing, I am satisfied because I got you. The thing about the, the, the thing I love about the prodigal son story is that it's really not about the sons. It's about the love of the father for both of them. He loved his son who went out and wild out all day, every day till he ran out of money and brought him in. No questions asked. The other son is mad as fire at his dad for allowing his other son to come back into the into the home and clean him up and give him everything and give him the give him let him be a part of the kingdom again. And his dad let him know what good father would withhold his love from his son. And whatever I have, it's yours. You don't have it because you didn't ask me for it. If you wanted it, all you had to do was ask. It's not your good deeds. Now, obey me, yes, but it's not your good deeds. It's not your good deeds that get you into that, get you access to stuff. It's me. If I want you to have it, I'll give it to you because I want you to have it for my glory's sake. And I'll make it to where you can't say I got it on my own. Our heart's posture, whether it be from the person who wowed out or the person who did all the work, should be a posture of humility. That God, I'm thankful. God, I'm grateful. God, you are so good that regardless of what position I find myself in my life, your love is unfailing. 
Your love is everlasting. Your love is sure. And I can stand on that foundation in whatsoever state I am in. I can be content because of, I have the peace that surpasses all understanding. So I say all that to say to us today, just because you have a relationship with God upon repentance and belief does not mean that you are as found as you think you are. If you are not in the kingdom, the invitation is here. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. Denounce your idols. Denounce your gods. Denounce the things that you're holding more valuable than him and make the declaration that God will be the uppermost of your attention and your affections. Believe in him and state that no matter what circumstance or situation comes, you know, you're pushing all your chips in with him. Nothing else matters. For the one who has believed, who does believe, for the one who is anchored in Jesus, Jesus is making the declaration to you today. Do not think yourself so high and mighty that you forget what God did for you. Jesus said it like this, and with this, I'm going to wrap up. The, the disciples were walking, were going around saying, man, I'm, you know what? We out here casting out demons. We out here doing the thing. You know, we helping you doing the thing. We, 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 we beating up the devil. We stomping on his head. Look at what we were able to do. Look at what we were able to accomplish. Yeah, we did the dang thing. Jesus says to him, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And he said it with remorse. What was his point? He said, don't be happy that you're able to cast out demons. Be grateful that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because it's a sad thing to not be a part of the kingdom. Don't think of yourself so high and mighty just because you're in the kingdom now that you forget how far God had to reach in order to get you out. For as it says at the very beginning of Luke chapter 14, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Don't forget how far God had to reach in order to pull you out of the muck and the mire. For the moment you forget what God did for you, that is the moment where you will then cast judgment upon others for not being where you are and think that they cannot have a relationship with God unless they look like you. They sound like you. They think like you. They've accumulated things like you. And God is saying to us today, you were once lost, but you are now found. So don't forget so that when you see someone who is lost, you can lovingly lead them to the one who 
who can find them. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for another blessed day in your presence. Lord God, thank you for finding us. Thank you for finding us. We, we, we were once lost. Whether we were in the kingdom or out of the kingdom, we were lost. Wandering aimlessly, trying to figure out this whole thing called life. And you thought it not robbery to change and transform our hearts in such a way to where we now have the key to life in you. We're asking and praying, Lord God, that you continue to just fill our hearts with your love, with your grace and with your forgiveness and help us to understand who we are in you. Lord God, help us to not be so high mighty that we think that people can't be used by you. Don't think, don't, don't make us feel so high and mighty that we feel like, you know, that God should not have um, any type of dealings with people who don't look like us or think like us or feel like us. Or Lord God, you said that you desire that all come to repentance, that none of us be lost. And so, God, we're asking and praying on today that you help us to delight ourselves in you, those who are believers, so that we can be the light that shines in the darkness for unbelievers and those who are, are just going astray to see you and come back to you. Lord God, we're asking for every unbeliever under the sound of my voice today, Lord God, if they don't have a relationship with you, that you knock on the on the um, on the door of their hearts and open that door wide so you can get in there and transform that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Let them know, Lord God, that you are still on the throne, that you still reign, despite whatever explanations people try to come with to try to, you know, dismiss God or disprove God or any of that. God, you still reign. You're still on the throne. You still rule. You still abide. And so, God, we're asking under the mighty name of Jesus that you help us, Lord God, to, you know, be the light that shines in the darkness. And to help those who don't have a walk with you, that they may grow to love you, bless you, and honor you as we do. Lord, you are so worthy of all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And we thank you for giving us this opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.